0: so uh what book are we working through proverbs Proverbs. what's the subject i hate to preach on money turn to proverbs 6. we're gonna deal with what the text says it's not my fault it's in there we're walking through we're caught we're stuck here we go so those of you that are new here i do not preach on money every week. It's really every other week, but it's pretty much the way we go. Proverbs 6, he's going to say two things to you about money. It's interesting how they juxtapose uh, two different things, but uh, boy, they have such an impact. Listen. My son, if you put up security for your neighbor... You've given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. There's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you will, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So he tells you two things, okay? One, it's interesting what he says. You have to read it precisely but if you're in Hebron and a guy comes up to you and he says, Listen, I'm going to open up a used camel lot. And I don't have the money to buy several used camels, and I need some good used camels, and, but you have the money. Bank knows you. Listen, would you go down and cosign for me? So you look at this guy, and you're trying to be a nice guy, and you say, You know, absolutely, man. We need some more used camels in town. We need better quality used camel. You're the man. I will cosign for you. It's interesting what he says he says don't go to the banker he says you run down to your neighbor that you made this deal with so apparently he wants you to run down before this guy even has a chance to go the next day to the banker and cut the deal with your name before he even has the opportunity he says I want you to run grab your neighbor pull him aside and say dude I was wrong we do need some new used camels but it's on you if God wants you in this business he'll take care of it I can't do that I can't co-sign in case you fail so that my money is used to benefit you and nothing comes of it. I simply cannot do that. You're going to have to let me out of the deal. So here's the first thing he says, real simple. You're not to put yourself in a position where somebody else other than you is in control of your money. Now, hold that. So we go to the second thing and we're going to put them together. So here's the first thing he says, you're not to put yourself in any position where someone other than you is in control of what you have from God. So there's the first thing. Second thing is he says, go to the aunt, look at her, how long will you lie there? In other words, get up and go to work. Second thing he says is, I want you to work. Do something, get up. Now, When we went to Uganda, uh, Tim Skaggs and Coleman Philly and I, we were, took us 24 hours on the plane, which is like being married to your mother-in-law, it's just not a good thing. So, you're 24 hours on the plane, we have a three-hour ride in a van over the mountains, all these hills, and we're we're getting there about 9 or 9.30 at night, driving over these mountains. And there are all these people. Walking in the dark up this mountain. And then going down the other side of it. I mean like at 9 o'clock at night. So the pastor's riding with us and I asked him, I said, what's going on here? He said, it's a daily occurrence. They have to walk back and forth from work. So they get off at a certain hour. They walk home. He said, they'll get up at 5.30 in the morning and they'll walk two hours back to where they work." I mean, is it a laborious trek just to obey the second part of proverbs but it was interesting to me because the same thing i've seen almost everywhere i've gone from mexico to here almost anywhere i've gone their labor was laborious but they were some of the happiest people i've ever seen i mean i can't even imagine walking two hours to work Working all day, walking two hours home, getting up the next day, two hours home. I mean, it's incredible, but these people were incredibly happy. And you come to America, none of us walks two hours to work. We get paid way more than they get paid. I watched little guys five and six years old, they came to where we were staying. And they would have a bucket about this size, and they would fill it with water, and these little guys would carry it a mile home. I mean, they have, even after they labor, they don't have money left over. And yet extremely happy we live in America. We don't labor near like they do. We have a whole lot of money left over. And we're the most unhappy people on the planet. We do that, and after we're done doing that, we spend Billions in this country on two things, entertainment and pills. We spend that money on two things, because if the entertainment doesn't work, the pills do. And here's the crazy thing. I see Christians going to a movie whose language is against everything you speak. The actions in that movie are vile, not wholesome, not holy. But we're so desperate that we'll go to try to get some relief from what we think is the bondage of how we live. Why is there a difference? Because I want you to understand something. Work is a biblical, holy, directive calling from God the Father. I want you to listen real quickly. You stay in Proverbs, but I want you to listen. Second chapter of Genesis. When does the fall occur in Genesis? When do we start sinning in Genesis? What chapter? Okay, it's not a trick question. What chapter? Three. So two, it's before the fall, right? Listen to this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Why did he put us in the garden to work it? He didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and they're sitting there hanging around with two little angels that look like they belong on a toilet paper deal. (laughs) They're not sitting in there with them and they got a little harp and they're singing all day and everything's wonderful, kumbaya, and you're wonderful, Jesus. They're not doing that. They're working. They're naming the animals, they're planting crops, they're working. So work was instituted before the fall. Listen, when you and I do go to heaven and God comes back and he makes this whole thing right. I mean, he fixes heaven, he fixes earth, he makes everything right. What do you think we're going to do? Sit on a cloud? There are no clouds. We're okay. You're not going to float. You're not going to have a harp. Thank God. You're not going to have any of that. You know what the Bible does say? That we sit on a throne with him in his throne under his authority. So what does that mean? We manage heaven with him. I mean, what we have now is so vast, our telescope cannot see to the end of it. Even the ones that are in outer space cannot see to the end of this universe. They have no idea where it starts and ends because our God's that big. So what he does is he puts us on the throne under him so that we manage the universe you're going to work when you go to heaven let me tell you work is a holy calling from almighty god now i understand our culture hates it i get that but those of us in this room should not hate it we got an entire restaurant dedicated to our hatred thank god it's friday TGI. We have an entire research thing dedicated to our hatred of work. Oh, I can't wait till Friday. It's over. We can go back. and have to go back Monday. We're going to change that because we are born again believers in Jesus Christ. So we're going to change that to TGI and thank God it's Monday so I can go live out the calling God has graciously blessed me with. That's what we're going to do. We're going to alter that because the Bible honors you when you work. I think part of the reason these people are happy and content in countries when they have absolutely nothing is they do work, and there is a divine dignity that is blessed on the people that obey the Father and His commands in the Scripture. There's nothing wrong with working. You say, well, it's laborious. It's hard. Do you walk two hours to work? Then don't call me. Are all jobs hard at times? Absolutely. Is it always fun being pastor here? (laughs) We're going to move on. Do I still love what I do? Absolutely. Because I'm in the middle of exactly where Christ called me to do. So work is biblical. You ask anybody that owns a small business in this church, what's the number one problem they have? Getting people to work with any sense of pride in what they ask them to do. You, as a Christian, are not going to be like the rest of our culture. You operate off a different mandate. You operate because you're living under a heavenly Father who has given you giftings and talents and callings to place you exactly where he wants you to be. And you're going to honor him and bless him and thank God and work hard because that is your calling from him. So two things. We're going to work hard, earn our money. And we're going to make sure that nobody is in control of the money that we earn except us. Why is that? Because there are three things that you're going to do with your money. I want you to listen, First Timothy, Chapter five. I want you to listen to the first thing. Here's what it says: Five59. listen to this. Let a widow. Be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, a reputation for good works. She has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. They actually, in the first church, basically every church, had a widow's list. Uh, They didn't have welfare back then. They didn't have governmental, any kind of support. So if you're a widow and all your family's gone and you're older and you can't work, you can't physically do what you used to do, you're going to be homeless and die. So the church set up a unique system. Now, it's, it's pretty tough. You can't get on the widow's list until you're 60. Number two, uh, if you had family alive, you can't get on the widow's list. They have to take care of you. church does not. Number three, you had to be holy to get on the list. You couldn't be uh, ignore Christ and then at 60 come in and say, I love Jesus today and I want to be on the list. No, if you didn't demonstrate prior hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, caring for people, you didn't get on the list. So the list was hard to get on, but here's the deal. Once you got on the list, you were taken care of for the rest of your life. So if you were in the church, First thing you had to do with some of your income is give it to the church every single Sunday so that these widows and the ministry to them out of the church could be taken care of. So the first reason you don't let anybody else control your money that you work for under Christ is because part of it is going to go ongoing to the ministry that God has placed you in the middle of. That's number one. Number two, there are going to be things... That God will at times call you to do beyond the ongoing service 2nd Corinthians 8 and 9 there was a drought in Jerusalem Paul writes to them and he says listen I've sent Titus around as a fundraiser He's come to you for money And I want you to take an, an offering And I want you to send it we're going to take the offering He's going to gather it I'm going to go with him And we're going to go to Jerusalem and give it to the Jewish Christians who are starving Because they have no food. So once in a while, you have to give to something beyond what you do ongoing. And again, the only way for that to happen is the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, I need your money over here. But if it's tied up with a used camel lot and you can't get it, then you can't do what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do. So there are two things. You say, okay, preacher, well, what about this? I work hard. I I do what I'm to do. I give on going to the church. I have been the kind of person that responds to the Holy Spirit. I've, I've done things like that. But I got some money left over. What do I do? Number one, Pastor Deerlees. That's number one. <laughs> Thought I'd try and sneak that in there. So, you got money left over. What do you do? Well, now, you're going to have a lot of people tell you that if you have money left over that you need to give it away. That's the mantra of the Democratic Party today. <laughs> you give all your money away because you have it and you shouldn't have it. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. Now listen to this carefully. Okay, You've worked hard given money on going to the church. You're open to the Holy Spirit directing you episodically at different things and now you have money left over now listen to this last part of verse timothy listen as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty so i have this money left over it doesn't make me better than anybody else you can afford to buy a rolls royce when i was in middle of 90, when we first went to middle in 81 they had rolls royce at a rolls royce dealership if you can afford to buy a rolls royce that's fine you should have bought the pastor your lease, but that's okay. You have the ability. That's fine. But what you don't do is look at the money and whatever you do with it and think, I'm better than somebody else because I have a Rolls Royce and they don't. You never get haughty over the extra income God's given you. That's number one. Listen to this. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now listen. Listen to what he just said. I love this I don't get haughty about it and I don't look at this I don't look at this extra money and think okay I can buy a ranger bass boat now and now that I have a ranger bass boat I'll be happy I don't become arrogant over what I have left I don't think that whatever I do with it will make me happy I believe Jesus Christ alone supplies my joy. This is icing on the cake, but his walk in my life is the cake. Now, there are going to be people that say to you, well-meaning Christians, that will read you the passage with a rich young ruler and say, hey, Jesus told him to give up all his money, and so that's what you have to do. And they're well-meaning Christians. They're well-meaning organizations. Sojourners. Socially active Christians who will tell you that. That, boy, this extra money, you've got, you've got to give it away or you're not really walking well with the Christ because that's what he told the rich young ruler to do. No, 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 no. Let me explain something about him. He told the rich young ruler the same thing he told Nicodemus and the same thing he told the woman in John 4. Let me be clear about something today. Jesus Christ is not fire insurance he is life insurance what he said to the rich young ruler was look buddy if you're going to follow me you have to come to the place where you think i can do more for you than your money can and if you're not there you're gonna to have to give it all up he's the only one in the new testament he's told to give up he's got the woman at the well john four right she says, oh, yeah, this and that. And he said, look, you've had five husbands in your living room. The guy's not your husband anymore. You need to drink from my well because I can cure the thirst. What he said to her is, look, you've got to quit thinking that a man can make you happy and believe I can do for you what no man can. And then he said to Nicodemus in John 3, you've got to be born again. What he said to Nicodemus was, look, you've got to come to a point, buddy, where you trust me enough that you don't think all the junk Pharisees have taught you growing up will work. The real issue isn't that we take one little thing and apply it to all of us. No, 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 no. Whatever you think is the ultimate blessing in your life, and you think that's going to bless you more than Jesus Christ, you cannot come to Him as Lord and Savior. That's the point. You work hard, you give ongoing, you give episodically, you come to this place, it's your money. He says to enjoy. He said, Well, shouldn't I give it up? No. Because it's interesting, 2 Corinthians, Corinth was a city in Achaia, a Roman province down here. The province right above it, it was Macedonia, where we have right Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica. They're up here. It's interesting, he did not send Titus into Macedonia because they don't have any money. He didn't even send him up there, they're so poor. They text him and said, Hey, we want to give. And Paul, being a good, this is how we know he's a Baptist preacher. Paul used it to guilt the Corinthians. <laughs> said, hey, they're giving, and we didn't even ask them for it. So it's what he did. But he never told the Achaean Christians, Now you got some money left over, send it north. You work. You don't let anybody control your money so that you can give continually and you can give episodically and then you can enjoy what's left and that is not an unholy proposition I will tell you this and I'm saying this all my heart today the reason Ugandan people are happy than Amer- happier than Americans is they work hard and they take what they have left over oddly enough and they do the best they can with it under Christ and they are grateful for the job they have to walk two hours to get to I think we've lost joy in our churches because we've lost a biblical understanding of both money and work and Proverbs puts it all in perspective let me tell you one story that I can multiply literally by thousands when Peg and I were in seminary if you know when you're in seminary you have no money I mean, you have nothing. I've got three years of school left. I graduated from college on Friday, get married on Sunday, start seminary on Thursday. She has two years of school left. So we have no money. Living in a one-bedroom apartment, sort of with a bathroom. I mean, it's bad. But it's okay because nobody else had any money either. Except for one guy. I used to walk from the house we were renting to, to seminary, and there was some big black Cadillac. And on the back of it, it said, oil pays my taxes and feeds my family. And I'm just being ungodly here. I understand that. But I just wanted one day to just take the key out and just... Well, if you got the money to drive the car, you got the money to fix it. But I didn't. So I'm just saying I maintained a modicum of holiness. But, but we were all poor. Every seminary student was poor. So we went to the small church with... Uh, and we got into class with several uh, other seminary couples, young couples class. The guy that taught the class was a guy named Bill Dehae. Bill was a blue-collar roofer. Owned his own company. He got up with the crews and he roofed with them. Now, if you roof in Texas in the summer, you are a man. That's all I know. Bill was one of the most gracious men I ever knew. He made really good money. I mean, they roofed. He had a great reputation in town. Somebody needed roofing, they called him. He had a really established business. He worked hard, blue-collar guy. But there were two things we knew. He always talked about and did, according to everybody we knew, substantially support his church. But the other thing he did was this. Once in a while, he'd take us all out to dinner. He'd have the entire Sunday school class go out to dinner. And it's no big deal, but the entire Sunday class would go out. We never, in three years being in that church, we never paid for a single meal when we went out with that guy. Ten or twelve couples, he always took care of the bill. Because he had the money, and he wanted to do that. And in three years, he worked hard. He got on roofs, he worked with his crews, he made good money, he lived that out, he was proud of what he did, and in three years, I never once saw him not gregariously happy. There was an infectious joy in his heart that I think God gave him because he lived the Bible out even to the point of work and money. We have a God who really does want to bless us if we do what he asks us to do. Let's pray. Father, your word is so clear, really so understandable. Bring us to two places where we live the business you've given us with praise and honor and joy. And that whatever you bless us with, we do exactly with it what you want done. And Father, that we do that because we believe Jesus Christ will get us through this life, not anything else in this world. Thank you for your Son and all that he does in our life every day. It is in his name I pray this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've never met Jesus, it's a great day to find him. You say, well, I don't want to join your church. That's fine with us. We don't care about you joining the church. And we don't care about your money today if you don't know Jesus Christ. You come down here, we'll tell you how to accept Christ. You can go right back home. You can find another church. We do not care. We just want you to know Jesus. If God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship, we want you to come. And as he speaks to your heart, you do that. And if you just need to come down here and kneel and pray and say, I've got to get some things right. Staff and I are here at the front. We will pray with you. Or you can come down here and pray without us. But as God speaks to your heart this morning, you come.